I'm glad to have the opportunity this morning to share with you a few brief thoughts on the Incarnation, really a meditation on the Incarnation. Um, My plans uh, had been to share with you this morning on contentment, and, um, and God had different plans, and so I get to content myself with his plans this morning, and, uh, and we get to learn something special that God has for us. Pastor Kyle shared with us last week about the Incarnation, uh, but the Incarnation is one of those great realities so magnificent that we could and really should spend the rest of our lives considering and wrapping our minds and hearts around the realities of what the Incarnation really meant. Joel Beakey, a theologian, uh, writes this about the Incarnation. He says, The sheer magnitude of the Incarnation is so incomprehensible. We could borrow language from the Apostle Paul that we see it only through a glass darkly. Describing the Incarnation in human language, he says, is like painting a mountain on a grain of sand. We stand before this abyss of glory and know we can never reach the bottom. It's really that great incarnation that we want to think about this morning, and especially thinking about it through the book of Hebrews. So wherever you're at this morning, if you can grab your Bible and have that available, we're going to be taking a trip through Hebrews just briefly in in the form of a meditation. Um, It would be nice to be able to have you all here and that we could actually interact over the ideas and thoughts that the author of Hebrews is presenting for us here. But But we want to begin in Hebrews chapter 10 in just a moment, and I want to show you uh, this great idea that's especially coming as translated, brought over from Psalm chapter 40 into Hebrews chapter 10. But I think that it's valuable for us to stop for just a moment and think about the incarnation from a little different perspective. Often we think about the incarnation from our perspective, that God is with me or God is with us that he's our Emmanuel, that divinity resides in flesh, that God dwells with his people, that Jesus understands. But I wonder if you've ever thought about what the incarnation meant to our Lord Jesus. To our Lord Jesus, the incarnation meant taking on the limitations of human flesh. It meant taking up residence among sinners. It meant understanding for sure. But it meant understanding through suffering. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read these words beginning in verse 1 and running through verse 14. The author of Hebrews writes, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, Would they not have ceased to have been offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now you hear in verse 5 this transition to a quote from Psalm chapter 40. And the picture really is that the Lord Jesus is, as it were, standing on the very threshold of heaven, prepared to enter the world to take on flesh. You're talking right here in verse 5 about the incarnation. And this is what it says. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. 
in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now in verse 8, he continues, When he said above, when Jesus said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He, Jesus, abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified, get this, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For us, the incarnation spells atonement. But for the Lord Jesus, incarnation, and you can hear it here, spells sacrifice. The incarnation meant the sacrifice of the very body that Jesus came to dwell in. In Hebrews chapter 2, you read a little more of this. In, in verses 14 and 15, Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things. What same things? He partook of flesh and blood. He was incarnate. He was in the flesh. That through death, in other words, through the power that a human body gave God to die, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Our deliverance from death, our deliverance from the power of death, our deliverance from the power of the devil himself comes through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus who took on a body that he might be made a sacrifice Do you remember John's statement when Jesus arrived on the scene? Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Yes, this Lamb, the sacrifice, came to take away our sins by dwelling in a body, a body that could die, a body that could be made a sacrifice. To us, the incarnation, atonement. To the Lord Jesus, the incarnation, yes, atonement, but a sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon says, It's an astonishing thing that there should have been a Christ at all. The incarnation is the miracle of miracles, that he who is the infinite should become an infant, that he who made the world should be wrapped in swaddling bands. This remains a fact out of which, as from a hive, new wonders continually fly forth. In his complex nature, he is so mysterious and yet so manifest that doubtless all the angels of heaven were and are astonished at him. The incarnation for Jesus meant sacrifice. But it meant more than that. The incarnation for the Lord Jesus meant the punishment of the innocent. Look over at Hebrews chapter 7 and verses 27 and 28. In verse 27, he, Jesus, has no need 
like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as a high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The Lord Jesus had, you can see right here in verse 27, no sins of his own. He had no need to offer a sacrifice for those sins which he'd committed, for he had never committed a sin. He had no sin nature. So this offering that he makes was an offering for the sins only of others. It meant really that he would be offered as a sacrifice for sins that he himself had never committed. It was the punishment of the innocent. You might remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. He made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The incarnation also meant desiring the undesirable. In Hebrews chapter 5, we read these words in verses 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, verse 7, chapter 5, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, get this, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus took on flesh in order to learn obedience through the things he suffered. You hear in this idea of suffering, this, this reality of a body, of an incarnate God. You hear echoes of it in the Garden of Gethsemane when you hear the Lord Jesus saying, not my will, but your will be done. Suffering was never a pleasure, not even to the Lord Jesus. But he would rather suffer in order to bring many sons to glory. The incarnation to the Lord Jesus meant such suffering. It meant desiring the undesirable, choosing the thing which you would never choose in order to accomplish a purpose greater than anything that we could ever have imagined or dreamt of on our own. That's what the incarnation meant to the Lord Jesus. But it also meant fulfilling the plan of God. The incarnation meant fulfilling the plan of God. Flip back over to Hebrews chapter 10, if you will, if you're following along in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, and we've already looked at verses 7 through 9, but I want to highlight that once more for us again. Sacrifices, it says in verse uh, 5, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now listen in verse 8. Having said that, that's what Jesus said on the threshold of heaven as he prepared to come. When he, Jesus, said the above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, hear what he added, behold, I have come to do your will. 
The incarnation meant fulfilling the plan of the Father. I think it's often here that we stumble in our own experience of walking with God. But I think it's valuable to consider that the incarnation for the Lord Jesus meant even more than anything of our disrupted plans can ever mean to us. This for the Lord Jesus was a plan that involved the most amazingly difficult suffering that could even be imagined. But he chose to fulfill the Father's plan at great personal expense. The plan appointed man to die once, and after that, the judgment. Jesus appeared, it says in Hebrews chapter 9, if you look back just a little ways. uh, So Christ, verse 28, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus appeared once to save us from sin, but he's coming again. And that because he fulfilled the Father's plan. Because he chose to do what God had in mind for him. Because he chose to be incarnate. John MacArthur says, The first time Jesus came, there was no room for him. The next time he comes, the whole world won't be able to contain his glory. The incarnation meant fulfilling the plan, not just the plan for what we call Christmas, the plan of Jesus being born, but the plan that is the plan of the ages, continuing the great plan of God from the counsel of God from forever, that we might be saved through him. The incarnation also meant separation. The incarnation meant separation so that we might know fellowship. Turn to Hebrews 13, if you will, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews 13 and verses 11 through 14. And this is what we read there. Hebrews 13. In verse 11, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now track with the author of Hebrews here. He says the bodies of sacrificial animals were burned outside the camp. Now verse 12, here's the parallel. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The incarnation meant separation, not only separation from God, being forsaken by his father, but it meant even separation from the people. That he came to save. He was sacrificed outside the camp. He suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus was forsaken so that we need never be forsaken. He was separated from the rest of humanity. And listen, there's a response. Because we get the chance to join him Therefore, verse 13 of chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews, Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In the incarnation, Robert Godfrey says, the lawgiver becomes the curse bearer. A long time ago in... College, I remember 
a, one of our professors in a chapel saying, Jesus stood in my place and took the shots that were meant for me. Now it's my chance to stand in his place in this world and to take the shots that are meant for him. That's really Hebrews chapter 13. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him, identify with him, join him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. We get the chance because of the incarnation to join Jesus outside the camp, identifying with him knowing something of his suffering and of his pain, we get to go to him and experience the pleasure and joy of his fellowship, the fellowship of his sufferings. For our Lord Jesus and for us, the incarnation really spells love, that God would love this world enough to enter it, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness as a man, And it means that we, so loved by God, might through the incarnation be made like the Son. In Romans chapter 8, a very favorite passage for so many of us, I want to remind us of what that love really looks like with these words, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us who loved us enough to be incarnated for us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our incarnate Lord. Jesus was willing to come to obey His Father, to fulfill the plan, to take the punishment that was designed for someone else, to desire the undesirable, to be separated from His Father, and even separated from those He came to save, that He could be the sacrifice that would bring us to God. For us, the incarnation spells atonement. For the Lord Jesus, it spells sacrifice. For us together, it spells the love of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we can only begin to comprehend the amazing love with which you've loved us in the Lord Jesus, bringing God himself and becoming flesh. We cannot fathom such a reality. It is truly like trying to paint a mountain upon a grain of sand. 
but we give you thanks. And we give you thanks that your plan, yes, your plan, even for this morning, as unique and different and distinct as it has been, is really a part of the great purpose that we get a chance to fulfill together with you. So I pray that as we are gathered in our homes and sharing together around these great truths, that this day would be set aside and marked in a unique way as an opportunity to worship the incarnate Savior and to join Him. Yes, to join Him, even outside the camp, even bearing the shame in order that together with him, we might enjoy the glory, the glory as of the Lord Jesus himself, who comes to give to us the fullest expression of the love of God. We ask that you would do this in our homes, wherever we are today, for Jesus' sake. Amen.